All right, well, turn together uh, with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 3, where we, we've been going uh, through the book of Acts verse by verse as we um, think about the movement of the church in the first century in the New Testament, and uh, we come to a story today, that uh, a narrative about a healing, and as I was preparing, I thought what I'd really like to do today is to look at a, a um, theology of healing and I think it'll be helpful to us. It was to me because when I look at stories like this, I have all kinds of questions that uh, come to mind, narratives, uh, historical events that happened in the lives of people and in the church. And in Acts chapter 3, beginning with verse number 1, there the Bible says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Father, thank you for who you are. God, thank you that you are powerful. God, you're our creator. God, you sustain life. You made us uh, a miracle. Our life itself is a miracle. And life on this planet is a miracle. And all around us, God, every day we see evidences of your providence and your love. God, your grace and kindness. We see ways that you encourage us to uh, worship you and to know you. And so I pray today as we look at your word that you'll use it in just that manner, God, to open up our hearts to you, to worship, and to be drawn to you, our our Savior, our Master, our Lord, and and the one who gave himself for us. We praise you, we thank you, and we ask it in Christ's name, amen. Well, uh, in this passage of scripture today, I want to think about the idea of healing in the modern church how do we think about healing today you know when we read a story like this how does it sit with you you know do we think well you know this is what we should expect all the time that people are going to be miraculously healed does that answer to your experience as a person who's lived life for a while well as I think about those kinds of questions that's uh, where I wanted us to go in this passage today this is not exactly uh This is a little more topical, maybe, than what we would normally do as we treat the passage, but when you read Acts, you're not always sure what parts of it uh, are transferable to our day and which ones are time-stamped while the Word of God was being confirmed by the apostles in their lifetime. If you read anything um, where people are telling you how to understand and read the Bible, we call it hermeneutics, they will say, Well, that's a question that you interact with as you read Acts. What parts of it are intended to give us sort of a pattern for the church today and what parts of it were while Scripture was being confirmed in the lifetime of the apostles? 
And so understanding how feeling he, uh, healing fits into the modern into modern Christianity to me is a difficult question. We know that God can heal our bodies, but we don't know if God will heal our bodies based on the experiences that and the observations that we might make, we do make. We know that some people experience healing, but not everyone does. I mean, if we're honest, and church is always a good place to practice honesty, I would say. We'd say, we know that some people are healed, but not everybody is healed. It feels very uneven and unpredictable. My great-grandmother, we called her, uh, her, she was a Stowe, S-T-O-W-E. She seemed a hundred from the time I knew her as a little kid. I don't know how old she actually was. But my grandmother Stowe, Maddie Stowe, was married to a police officer who was killed I don't know when. I only saw pictures of him wearing this constable-looking policeman hat. I knew that she was married to a police officer. I knew that she had been widowed a very long time. She lived with a spinster. If you don't know what a spinster is, it's just like this lady who had never been married her whole life. Carrie Lou was the other lady's name. And then my great uncle's mother, Miss Lewis, who had also been widowed for a, a very long time. All these ladies lived together in this kind of um, cracker box house in downtown Augusta. And I remember going to visit them in there. I remember that my great-grandmother Stowe predictably was going to give you socks for Christmas every year. What I did not know was how generous an act that was on her behalf, you know, now as an adult looking back, that she lived as this widow without two dimes to rub together. I didn't know how generous it was. Now I know that it was generous. I know she loved us. I know she was godly. All that part of our family was from Greenville, South Carolina. It's where my mom came from. And I remember that my uh, great-grandmother Stowe loved Rex Humbard. Now, only people of a certain age in this room have any idea at all who Rex Humbard is. But in the age of uh, televangelist, he was a pioneer. He had a church called the Chapel of Tomorrow. I think about that, Chapel of Tomorrow. What an incredible name to give to a ministry. And he had a vision that for the word of God to go out into all the world. He was uh, so well known in his time that he actually preached at Elvis Presley's funeral. Rex Humbard, the Chapel of Tomorrow. And here's my great-grandmother Stowe without two dimes to rub together, routinely sending money to the ministry of Rex Humbard, who promised miracles for donations. Look, you can look it up. I mean, it, I don't want to, you know, I think about that. I don't ever want to seem to um, pronounce on the motives or hearts of others. But if you routinely promise people miracles in exchange for money, then I think I understand that dynamic pretty well. I think about growing up uh, hearing this song all the time. I looked it up this week on YouTube. Something good is going to happen to you this very day. Yeah, anybody remember that song? I know some of you old folks do. 
I would love to sing it uh, even today. I think it's a great hymn. Something good is going to happen to you. Jesus of Nazareth is passing your way. It was a great song. The guy that led it looks like William Holden in the video. Oral Roberts. It's amazing. These people would fill up buildings and buildings, you know, of, of human beings who would come out. And it's the same kind of dynamic, the promise of healing and uh, for donations. And I don't know. It's enough to make you some something of a cynic. And that's how I felt about it as a kid. I remember my mom watching lots of religious program, and of course this is before I became a follower of Jesus. I remember lots of crying and mascara running. That's what I remember, PTL Club. Of course, my mom liked PTL Club a lot. My friend and I would refer to it cynically as the Pastelute Club. I know that's not kind, but it's where we were, you know, as kids. And I think about that when I'm, you know, interacting with this narrative that healing plays on people's hopes in a way that it is very easy for someone to manipulate for financial gain because of what healing means to someone, because of what it means to be a human, because of our temporary life on earth and how sickness impacts us or how a situation like this, being crippled from birth, will impact a person. And the passage, uh, that here's what we see, actual healing did occur. It was a miracle. This person who had never walked a day in his life, who had been reduced to showing up in public and begging alms every day, this person instantly, miraculously, powerfully has his entire life changed by people who knew God and, and loved Christ and had seen Jesus heal. In fact, we're going to see a story in, uh, as we go through today. It's in Luke chapter 8. And you see that Jesus has kind of primed these guys for this experience, Peter and John, because he goes to, uh, he's on his way to a place of a man named Jarius. And he takes Peter and John with him. And he takes them in with him where this little girl has died. She is dead. And Jesus raises her from the dead in their presence. And we can see that there's something going on here that God meant to have the kind of impact that it does have when we read this story. So no question of a miraculous healing occurs here. The question I have as I read this story is how, do we, how are we supposed to think about that? How are we supposed to think about healing? And so in, as we look at the passage, there are several things that occur to me about this idea of healing and how we interact with it. The first one is that healing characterized the Messianic era. And you see that it was, it was told by Isaiah the prophet that this would be what would happen. This, in fact, is what you would expect to happen if God came and inhabited a human body which is what happened when Jesus came to earth, is God, eternal, preexistent, became a man and lived here on this planet for about 33 years, we know historically. And so what would we expect to happen when God showed up? We get a lot of clarity about God in Jesus. That's what you would expect. You see very plainly what God's heart is like when Jesus comes. The power evidenced in the early days of the church 
was given by Christ to his apostles to establish the church. That's R.C. Sproul, who you'll hear me quote a lot because I bought a great commentary by him on Acts. But that's usually a very conservative, modern uh, position about what Acts is supposed to give us is the idea that the word of God was being confirmed in those days and that during the time of Jesus and the apostles, you see these incredible healings which tend to, most people who read church history say, diminish after the apostles pass off of the scene. These kind of healing events. So when God was on earth in Christ, we saw what you would expect. I've shared this before, but uh, in our church, the church Frankie and I came to faith in Christ in that they had a discipleship training hour on Sunday evening at 6 o'clock. And I remember going and watching this very dry video by a guy named uh, Alfred. I'm trying to remember his name. Uh, I can't remember it. But it was the life and times of Jesus the Messiah. Very boring. Like 15 minutes in, I would be like, you know, trying to keep uh, my eyes open and stay awake for it. But... Here's what I learned in that uh, video series that I'd never thought about. I was a baby Christian. Is that if you want to know what God is like, watch Jesus. If you want to know God's heart, watch Jesus. Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus is God become human. Jesus' conversations were people. Is God having conversations with people? So if we want to know what God is like, we, we watch Jesus. And when Jesus came here, we see the heart of, of God. What was God doing? God was healing. God encountered physical maladies and ailments, and he healed. He fed people. When God came to earth, he gravitated toward human need. He fed people. He, he was... Often in places where people would stay and listen to him teach, and we know that there are multiple, you know, narratives that describe that the people they didn't have enough feed uh, food for them, and Jesus multiplied miraculously what food they had on hand to meet their need. He cared about meeting the needs of people, feeding people. He he did that while he was on earth. He rescued people in spiritual and emotional distress. When, we, when you read the Gospels, that's what we see is that Jesus would enter into the problems that people had. Sometimes he taught them things they needed to know. He didn't always give them what they wanted. I think there's a story of two brothers and they come to him and they say, Hey, uh, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus said, Who made me an arbiter over that concern? He said, what you really need is to take heed and beware of covetousness because your life doesn't consist in the abundance of things that you possess. So he uses a human problem for a teaching moment. But we know that when Jesus was on earth, he was God taking care of people. When God broke through and the Messiah came to earth, Emmanuel, God with us, there was mercy and compassion. That is what God is like. Fundamentally, that's so important to know. This is what God is like. That story in Luke chapter 8 where Jesus is on his way to heal, Jariah sins for Jesus, and he says, my daughter is very, very sick. And, and while Jesus is on his way, you remember there's this, uh, a woman draws near to him and touches the hem of his garment, says she's had an issue of blood. 
She had a menstrual problem that persisted through all of her life and she had spent however much money she had trying to resolve it and it wasn't resolved. She touches the hem of Jesus' garment and she's healed. And Jesus stops the whole procession and is like, who touched me? (laughs) It's like... He's, he, and they're like, the, the disciples are like, this throng is pressing in on you and you're asking who touched you. But Jesus said, virtue to heal went out from me. That was what Jesus experienced. There was virtue in Jesus that went out to heal. And he knew that this, and then she comes out and, and acknowledges that it was me. And he tells her, your fate has made you well. So on the way to heal somebody, he healed somebody. And he gets to Jariah's house, and you remember that his daughter is already dead. They tell him after, he, after this, hey, don't even bother. She's already died. And Jesus says, she's not you know, dead. She's just asleep. And they laugh him to scorn. That's what the scripture says. And then Jesus goes in with the apostles, Peter and John. And he takes the little girl by the hand, he raises her up and says, then give her something to eat. That's what happened. So what do we know about God based on how Jesus was with people? That he cares about our hurts. He cares about our sickness. He cares about death. And yet we live in a world full of sick and dying people. And we see this healing power extended into the apostolic era. That's what we can know. But also we see in this passage, that, or we see really as an idea about what we observe in life and as we think about God's heart, that God can heal sickness and disease, but people's experiences vary. My mom at 58 years of age after being sick most of her adult life, we had moved off to go to school in North Carolina and we moved back here, and within, we moved back in July of 1998 to Effingham County. And by October, my mom had passed away. 58 years old, younger than I am now. I've shared this before. And I am very biased on behalf of uh, this person, but she, my mom was godly. She loved Christ. I've told this story before, but she would go to the youth detention centers in Augusta, and she would share the gospel there. She'd get to her own church late, and I always think people thought, why is that lady always late to church? Well, she was late to church because she had been at youth detention center that morning teaching Sunday school to incarcerated kids and sharing the gospel with them. Her life had incredible impact, and she was sick her whole adult life. When we think about the experiences that people have, 99.9% of the time the human body is a marvelous little miracle factory. It really is, right? It's constantly producing miracles of healing. This is how the psalm writer teaches us to think about our body. He says, I'll praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. He says, this is how we think about what a human is, how God made you and made me. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, the scripture says. More often than not, immune systems ward off disease and fight infections. That happens almost all the time. Extended sickness is a biological anomaly, though it doesn't feel like it if it's you. 
It feels like your whole world. Most of the time, body systems, uh, the systems that are in our body kick in and into gear and do precisely what they were created to do. Most of the time. I had a stupid shop accident recently. I do woodworking. Sometimes, you know, it's like a small uh, side job. I was building a swing for someone, and so I always put chain on swings to hang them for people, especially if they ask me to, I do. So I've got an angle grinder. I was doing something stupid that I knew better than. I was holding on to a piece of chain with a uh, pair of needle-nose pliers, and I was cutting it with an angle grinder with my other hand. So now I have this neat little half-inch scar right here on my knuckle as a result of that. Uh, within like the next two weeks, I went over to Harbor Freight and bought a $12 pair of um, bolt cutters. <laughs> Lesson learned, but the angle grinders uh, slipped off the chain and hit me right here on my knuckle, and it was one of those injuries that you're like, does this need stitches or not? I knew pretty quickly it probably needed stitches, but fortunately it sort of cauterized uh, the wound, and I didn't get stitches but it was interesting over the next week watching my hand heal itself. Like I said, there's a scar there now. A monument to, you know, like bad safety protocol. But that was that's how the body usually works, right? Most of the time it goes to work and it begins to like patch itself up and heal itself. And that's what we expect. And it's easy to take it for granted. It's when healing doesn't occur, when our physiology has gone awry, that we might find ourselves in some confusing space regarding healing and how God is working in the, wor- in the world. There are many testimonies of healing, and we, we might feel like, God, if you've got a basket of this stuff lying around up there, don't be stingy with it, okay? And we might still have to sit with loss. Or we might be wonderfully, inexplicably healed. Or someone we loved and needed so much might still go and leave this extraordinary void and ache in our hearts. And we would still need to give God the sovereign right to decide and still believe in his goodness. And hopefully we will not have that many friends who pepper us with stupid cliches. Hopefully. Because we sometimes have friends like that. Well-meaning probably people who say things that aren't helpful. And I find reading the right kind of people and listening to the right kind of music is helpful. People who understand grace and help me keep a sense of humor. That's what I'm looking for. But we, When we think about healing, one of the things that we notice is that the results vary. That's just an honest observation. Also, when we think about what we can learn from Scripture and in life, how do we understand the modern, modern Christianity in view of uh, things that we read like this narrative? Well, God's goodness is compatible with human suffering. Sometimes people struggle with that. How can God be good but people still suffer the way they do and injustice occurs? Well, we understand that God's character is fundamentally good. 
It's just a world that doesn't always reflect that. The world's a dangerous place. I can never, I've Googled this over and over again trying to find the source of it. So maybe I heard it in a sermon, I don't know. But someone said that God created the world full of glory and danger. Maybe I said it, I don't know. I'm going to start attributing it to myself now that I can't find anybody else that said it. He created the world full of glory and danger. The problem with the theology that requires healing 100% of the time is that it ignores the reality gap. We all know people who in the human understanding of logic and fairness don't deserve to be chronically ill or critically ill or terminally ill in our understanding of human fairness. Hitler, we think, maybe deserved a terminal disease instead of interminable hatefulness and craziness. But we, we all know people that we think, how could this be their reality? How could they be walking in this A person that insists, who insists that this kind of apostolic healing can be commanded with enough faith will have to find a weakness in the spirituality of the suffering person. This is my problem with the idea that we can command healing. Is that the person will eventually go, something's wrong with your faith. How do I know? Because that was what my mom heard from people. I don't know. It's a subjective thing to say to anybody for sure and probably not a kind thing to say. But this is where it lands. If someone says, we have exactly the power that Peter had to command healing, and if something's wrong in this equation, it must be you. must be your faith. It must be your own inadequacy. And I think, is that the perspective on God that we want? He's judging your faith, and if it isn't of the quality that he requires, he's going to withhold healing from some suffering person. Okay, I've read the Bible. I do think that there's an association with sickness and sin at times in the life of a Christian because we see examples. Of, for, for example, in James chapter 5, he says, that the prayer of faith will heal the sick. And if anybody's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. And it tells us that the elders of the church should come together and anoint uh, people with oil and pray for their healing. And I believe all that. And if you ask me to do that, I would anoint you with oil with the rest of our elders and pray for you and believe God to heal and believe God with the outcomes. And I know that in Scripture sometimes there's this association with sickness and sin. I believe that. I know it's real. But I don't think there will be any mystery about it in that person. I don't think they'll be going like, what did I do? I think they'll know what they did. I think sometimes we have God confused with someone else. I believe God can heal. We should pray for physical healing and then we trust God. Sometimes people, whether they say it out loud or not, have a bone to pick with God. Well, all right, there's a whole book of the Bible, Job, you could go to and read about how that turns out. 
when people show up with a bone to pick with God. The best thing to do is settle a baseline conviction. This will be helpful. God is, this is what the scripture says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message which we heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Make that unassailable in your faith system. Make it unassailable. In God is light and no darkness whatsoever. So whatever has happened is not an indication of some moral failure in God. God is perfect. And everything that God does is always going to be from a place of benevolence and redemption and righteousness and holiness. So cobbling together an idea about how do we understand suffering and sickness and death and healing in the modern world in view of the things we know from Scripture. We know that the world is impacted by the fall until we die or Christ returns. The fall. That's what the Bible says is wrong with the world. That's the Bible's explanation. You turn on the news and it's always heartbreak. And the rare exception that it's about puppies, you know, that doesn't last very long. It's about heartbreak and murder and death and darkness. Something's wrong with the world. The Bible says here's what's wrong with the world. In Romans chapter 5 verse 12, Therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sin, the fall introduced death. Physical death and alienation from God occurred in man's rebellion. And look at what that passage says, unless you say, Adam did that, I didn't. The Bible says we are sinners by nature and by choice. Because all sinned, right? That's what it says. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, death through sin, and this way death came to all because all sinned. Not just Adam, but you too and me too. And in your honest moments, you know that is absolutely the truth about you. God's got a perfect standard. You don't uphold it. I don't uphold it perfectly. The dangerous freedom God granted his autonomous creatures has devastating consequences as well as great possibilities. Both are true. That's why it's full of glory and danger, that this creation that God made you, me, Full of glory and danger. C.S. Lewis is probably where that came from. The idea that something that's created that's not a, a robot that has a free will can either go very right or very wrong. And it does both things in the lives of people depending on our disposition toward God. Do we put down our rebellion and do we surrender and submit to God or do we persist in trying to live a life separated from God? The dangerous freedom God granted to us has these consequences, good and bad. There's no other explanation for suffering in the world that's adequate. And nobody denies that there's a problem in the world. I always think, start with the world. And as you move in, you start with the world, obviously it's messed up. 
It's characterized by broken brokenness. It's characterized by by problems, dysfunction, sin is the Christian word for that. Move in closer. What about your family? Any problems in your family? Any struggles? Any dysfunction? Any brokenness? Any sin? Of course. Of course. All the honest people say, yes, that's true of my family. Okay, move in a little closer and, and look in the mirror. That's the next place. Anything in there that's not perfect, that doesn't line up, of course. So we, we say there's something wrong with this world, and the Bible explains it as that God made a, a person with all this potential, but where the potential was, there was also the possibility that it could go awry in the exercise of its freedom. There is no other explanation for suffering in the world that's adequate. If, it, if it's not wrapped up in the providence and goodness of a loving God who has infused the world with meaning and underpinned it with redemption and hope, then what we are going through is a pointless, futile tale. If it's not for that reality, but it, of course that's the main reality we claim as followers of Christ, that because of who God is, he's underpinned all of it with meaning and hope. So that when we suffer and we, and we hurt and we're sick or we lose someone that we care about, it doesn't necessarily mean that's the end of the story. That there's still hope. Because if our hope is founded in Christ, then, you know, use the word unassailable before, that's unassailable. And we see in the, in the scripture and in Christian thinking that God's purpose in everything is for people to become worshipers. That's, I don't want to forget about this narrative. I don't want to miss the point of the passage. A man was miraculously healed. And he rose to his feet leaping and praising God. He was looking for temporary relief and he found total healing. And that's the thing. Clearly when Jesus came, God in human form, he cared for and intervened in human sickness and suffering and even death. He also proclaimed the kingdom of God because we're not just physical bodies and swirling masses of chemicals. That's what people would have us think. That's what life is. You're just, uh, it, it excuses and rationalizes so many things. If we just think we're the outcome of some uh, mindless ev- evolutionary process, that's what, not what Scripture teaches. We're not just ma- we do have chemicals working inside of us, but that's not all we are. We're not just masses of chemicals in in this material body. God created us and assigned meaning to our our lives. We're souls with an eternal destination. As hard as it may be to accept, being a worshiper of God, knowing Christ, is far more important than being physically whole. People would wrestle with that. What? No. Having a relationship with God in a broken body is far superior than to be completely healed and not know God and be alienated from the life of God. There's a priority here that I think we can understand. Jesus taught the kingdom of God. He taught the importance of knowing God. What Jesus said, this is eternal life. He gave a definition to it. That they may know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent or 
1 John uh, says that, 5.13. This is eternal life that they may know you. Know Jesus, John 17.3. This is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. So it's knowing God. He says that's what life really means. We're absolutely right to pray for physical healing. We should. I guarantee you every time I'm a man, you know, if I get a cold, it's like the end of the world. You know how men are. So I definitely pray when I'm sick, and I pray for healing. And I wouldn't, don't mean to imply that every Christian minister who places an emphasis on healing has a sordid motivation. I don't think that either. But in humility, we must acknowledge that there's an observable gap between what we sometimes want and what actually occurs. And our mortality is real. We're transient on this earth, you're here for a while. What does James say? What's a man's life? It's like a vapor that appears for a very short time and then is gone. That's what life is, transient. 166,000 people die every day across this planet. We will go, the Bible calls it, the way of all the world. Even Lazarus, whom Jesus raised, eventually died again. Every person who received healing in Scripture still had their obituary written by some family member later. That's a cheerful thought. I know you come to church to be cheered up, right? But hopefully what we really come for is some sobering up. Some doses of reality and truth, too. And here it is. God's love for us does not always mean that we are protected from harm. When it does, praise His name. If it doesn't, as difficult as it may be, praise His name. And every one of us ought to have peace in ourselves about meeting Him. If you're in this room and you do not have peace in yourself about meeting him, God cares about that more than anything. It's what put Jesus on a journey to this planet to come here and to reconcile people to to himself. Every one of us ought to have peace in ourselves about meeting God. It it doesn't come through your perfection because you do not have any. It comes through his perfection. The only perfect person died for all the messed up people. That's the gospel in a nutshell. The only perfect person died for all the messed up people. Do you have peace about that today? Have you responded to God's gift through your surrender That's what God requires of us, repentance and faith. Surrender, saying yes to him. And if, as we understand scripture, that is what God commands you to do. Obey the gospel. The gospel is truth to be obeyed. I want to pray for us. We're going to have a time of commitment. And clearly... We know that God calls us to salvation forgiveness. If you, if you don't have peace about that, I'd be happy to pray with you today as God is working in your heart the steps to, 
to that or just to say yes and to open our life up to him and to follow him. A first step of that is baptism as a new creation in Christ. And it may be that there are needs for healing and we definitely should cry out to God and pray for him, uh, to him for healing and trust him that God is able to do uh, exceedingly abundantly above everything that we ask or think. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. If you would, let's stand together and and we'll have prayer. And then I'm going to invite you if you will come if you have a need for prayer. God, we're grateful to you today for the truth of Scripture and how it shows us that you're consistent. This world is consistent too and that it offers us a broken place to live with hurtful things and pain and, and sometimes disappointment. But God, may our disappointment never be directed toward you. God, may we settle in our heart this truth that you're light and there's no darkness in you whatsoever. And God, may we trust you no matter what. And God, I pray for people today who may be struggling with physical difficulty and and sickness, God, that you would heal them. And God, I pray that you'll heal them in the most important way, each of us, God, that we might have peace in our life, that you have loved us to the point of death, that you've been raised from the dead to give us justification and hope. And God, may we cling to you no matter what. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.